Here's what's coming up on today's episode. To say that you're going to go and hire these people and not change anything about your workplace, you're not doing anybody any favors because in six months time, they're about to leave because that, you know, the environment that you've, the culture that you've created within your organization is not conducive to, you know, actually valuing their perspective. Welcome to the Crying in the Bathroom podcast with your co-host. I'm Beth Barodi. And I'm Heather McDonald. This is a podcast for women who have experienced the career highs, lows, and everything in between. So let's talk about them together. Join us while we share personal stories of our own, as well as bringing on some amazing guests to share their stories. We'll cover everything from corporate to nonprofit, parents and non-parents, promotions and job hunting, and so much more. Whether you're listening to us on your walk to the grocery store, while you're getting ready for work, or as you sit on the cold bathroom floor. Because let's face it, we've all been there. We're just happy you joined us. From your perspective, I'm just running through my head thinking about anyone that I know in the academic world and any professors or anyone that I know is actually a woman. Um, And so do you find challenges being in academia between like any sort of divide between men or women, um, the way that the kind of academic system is is built or or anything like that? Or do you find that because, and maybe this is an incorrect statement, but because it is academia, it's almost like a little bit more progressive and a little bit more accepting of kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those pieces? Um, I think it really depends on the institution, but, and even just the department and just the office in general, like I'm, like I said, I'm really lucky, but the truth about academia is, and I feel I can say this because I've literally been living in it for the past decade and some, um, it's, a you know, the same issues that are prevalent in society are reflected in, uh, you know, those institutions as well. In academia, the truth is, is that we just talk about it more. People in academia are better at discussing those issues, you know, especially people that come from the arts and the humanities, people that study that for their lives. So, so that, in a way, brings it to the table a little bit easier. But that doesn't mean that the change actually happens, you know. Um, but I feel like they're trying, it's a process just like the paper in any institution, large organization, you know, when systems are set up within a system of, uh, oppression, then there's going to be issues, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that they are more progressive, but it really does depend where you are. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've been, um, learning about more and more over the last, probably a couple of years is just really the developments of all the systems that we are living and just the, like the bare bones of it being like pretty much everything that we live in from like our legal system, education system, healthcare system, everything was built by middle-aged white men who had some sort of like Christian kind of faith or methodology behind them. And just like fully understanding like the, how exclusionary those systems were when they were built and that we have not really made a lot of progress at like the root of it to have those systems changed. 
um, and just how insane it is with how like diverse populations are with how much we know or how much we know or just how much more kind of um, aware we all are of just how hard those systems are to change um, and that they still are essentially based in old Anglo-Saxon Christian men's views. Super waspy. Super waspy. Yes, yes. <laughs> very, very waspy. I mean, it's frustrating, right? Because yeah. for me, I, these conversations are old news. You know, like it's yeah. it's old news. And, I, and just the fact that, you know, and it is, I feel like it's a little bit, again, my obligation, my responsibility to put in the work and explain things, especially when it comes to people who have been historically marginalized, like those kind of communities and under and explaining how that all works. And, you know, why, you know, why don't we change the name of the baseball team, which is, I don't even know the name of the baseball team, but like, you know, the one that like is really racist yeah, we, towards yeah, indigenous people. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We, we know, know which one. Yeah. Okay, I don't even know it, but like, it's Cleveland. you know, like, okay, okay, yeah. Cleveland. And then there was, you know, that, that icon, they're like that mascot, which was super oh, disgusting. Yeah. And like, you know, and, but it's funny because you have to sit there and you have to be like, no, this is why. And it's such a sim, it seems so obvious to me just because I've been immersed in that world for so long. Right. But then to take in and have to give the emotional labor of like sitting and explaining to somebody why it's not okay to do that, it's, uh, it can be really frustrating and a little bit, you know, like that, that's why it's important to have conversations like this. That's why I love talking to you too, because it's, 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 there's no labor involved because we're all on the same page. There's no explaining that needs to be done because we all get it. But, and it's frustrating when, we're asked time and time again to tell the same story of suffering to explain why things should not be the way that they are. And, and I find that with people that just haven't been impacted by it, right? Like they have no frame of reference around the issues. And I, I'm happy to see that's changing. And it's, it's good that they're at least aware that conversations are happening. That's always good, right? Like, yeah, like, we I, hear about these things. Yeah, <laughs> we know something's happening. Um, and I, I will say this past week, I had lunch with um, one of our executive team members, which, you know, he he was really open with me about some of these conversations that we had and about his perspective and about the challenges that he has trying to learn more about them. And I thought, this is really good. And maybe, you know, the one on one setting is like a little bit less um, intimidating or less there's less expectation, I guess, on it. But I was really happy that he felt comfortable enough to say, hey, I know that this is an issue. This is where I'm at with it. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with this um, because of X, Y, and Z. But like, I want to learn. I want to like be better and understand more about this. And I thought that's that's at least a step. And that's really great that you're at least willing to kind of talk about that again. Because, I mean, even on, like, the baseball team things, like, even some of, like, rural places in, in Ontario that you drive through a rural towns, there's, like, still streets that are called Colonization Street. And it's wow. like, how is that still a thing? How is there a street that is called? Like, in, in a place um, that has a lot of uh, Indigenous nations, like, in the area. Wow. And it's, like, Colonization Street. It's, like... Come on, come on. Like, how, how is that still 
there and still a thing. Like it can't be that difficult to change a street name. You know what's funny mm-hmm. is even with like the baseball team or all these other um, organizations that may have had like branding that was inappropriate. Sometimes you'll hear the excuse of like, oh, but the branding is so expensive and to change it and it's a lot of work and all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of their ridiculous excuse. But then they have a PR crisis on their hands and they're spending Mm -hmm. time and effort and money to Mm -hmm. respond to questions from reporters and the community. And you're still you're still you can't use that as an excuse because if you don't make a change, you're still going to have problems and, and probably even worse. So, um, and it still does take that. So why not make the change? It might be timely and costly for a short period of time, but you're going to be better off down the road. Um, so I just don't buy that type of excuse. Oh, well, it's always been this way or, Oh, it's going to take too much to do this or that or whatever. If it's not something that they actually feel or recognize as harmful, then they're not prioritizing it. And then that in turn means that they're not prioritizing equity. They're not prioritizing justice, you know? So, oh, it's a, it's a real challenge out there. But it's a conversation get here. (laughs) I don't know. Where are we? (laughs) We're talking about baseball team branding. (laughs) I love it. None of us know anything about baseball. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, no, a, a little side story with that because and we can, don't have to use this because I don't know if it's fully factual because Jeremy just told it to me but there is another team so it was Cleveland <laughs> is one of the baseball teams and the uh, uh, Atlanta was another baseball team uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah and Atlanta has ch- has changed their team name to just be Atlanta because they said uh I guess in some article that they had too hard of a time trying to figure out any other type of mascot that would have like the same impact as their original one. So they're just going with Atlanta. Pick a now. bird, pick a bear, pick anything, pick, like a, a pick anything, thing. like look at that like, guy, the make fil- something the, up. Like the Philadelphia hockey team has like a big fuzzy orange thing. And just that like, guy is cool. Muppet. He is yeah. so hilarious. Like, like that's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Crying in the Bathroom, because let's face it, we've all been there. So I I was going to ask a question. It's kind of still on this thread, but it's something, again, that um, I've been trying to kind of like figure out and struggling with a bit myself that I would love both of your kind of thoughts on is being the voice Uh, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but like speaking about marginalized people, vulnerable groups, um, racism as a white person and being seen in your workplaces as kind of the person to go to, to talk about these things without having like lived experience of being in the shoes of any of these people. Take it away, Heather. (laughs) So, like, I work in communications and public relations. So I'll, I'll speak specifically to um, the events of last year. We saw a lot of organizations coming out with diversity statements or comments in support of Black Lives Matter. 
And that to me was really um, a tricky time to be working in communications because you don't want to come up with some sort of statement just to stake your claim and then you're not actually doing anything about it. So for me, we wanted to see action. Like I need a list of things that you're going to do to improve our organization. And we need to stick to them. We need to set deadlines and we need to have some sort of action behind our words because otherwise it's just performative and you're not actually doing anything for the people within your organization that are employees or clients. So that was one thing that like, I just made sure the rest of my communications team made sure and our executive team, um, we made sure that what we were saying was actually something that we could action. And I mean, I'm fortunate that I work in an organization that is all focused on well-being, and, you know, we want to make sure that we're protecting our employees and our clients. And um, so for us, it was uh, something that everybody got on board with and we have been making progress and it's not something that changes overnight, right? Like if you're looking at um, policies for hiring, like that takes time. You have to do training for the people that are doing the hiring and you have to make sure that um, you're questioning the, the status quo really um, and making sure that you're you're looking at a, a diverse group of candidates in order to hire for a position and you're not just looking at people who would fit the culture, which is what you hear a lot in interview process. And that's just one piece of it, right? Like there's also, um, there are some, there's such a range of things like exposure, like you want to have representation on your executive team and your board. Um, and that doesn't happen overnight either. Like it's, it's a process. And so we had to just understand that it would take some time, but that we were making real commitments. Um, and so that, that to me was my role in my organization was to make sure that what we were saying were, were things that we were committed to doing in the long run. Yeah. And I, I want to jump in because I think it's a really important point that you're making, which is, you know, that there seems to be so suddenly, you know, my Facebook feed that used to be full of people, you know, talking poorly about the rioters or the, you know, these people like, you know, earlier and now it's changing. I see a shift in the general sort of conversation that's happening. However, there is a lot of what I like to call like moral flexing that happens or like moral Mm -hmm. signaling that happens um, in, in social media. And also like what you're talking about, it's just a statement in support of BLM, you know? And then, so you say, what are we doing? (laughs) Like, what are the actions being taken because the moral signaling I think it's important to show support but uh it actually I think sometimes reduces the conversation as well and uh, Beth you were talking about this too where you can have a one-on-one conversation with somebody who's struggling with a topic for example you know like I you know I get that you know it's not the best name for this baseball team but I can't get there that it's so harmful that we need to change it because it's a part of my history it's what I grew up with or whatever right but when you're just doing moral signaling you're not having a nuanced conversation you're not bringing in all the data you're not bringing in sort of the larger picture you're not bringing in sort of how it how it all fits together and when you do something that is 
just a statement on BLM or you say something like, we're about to hire, we're doing big hiring of indigenous people and black people, you know, that's what we're going to do. It's, it's like, what are you doing in order to actually make it so that people who are from historically, um, marginally marginalized communities, they actually want to work there, you know, to say that you're going to go and hire these people and not change anything about your workplace you're not doing anybody any favors because in six months time, they're about to leave because that, you know, the environment that you've, the culture that you've created within your organization is not conducive to, you know, actually valuing their perspective, for example. Um, and, and that, I mean, that is a really great example because it's one that I, I live a lot of the time at my job. And I think one of the things and where I was, where this question was really coming from was that, you know, with these statements that are made, say, you know, we're going to hire Indigenous people um, and we need to figure out how to retain Indigenous individuals as well because we know the culture isn't great. It then is like, okay, Beth, so how do we do that? And my response is always, well, we need to go and talk to communities. And it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you go do that then because that's your job and then you tell us what to do. And so it again, it's like, or it's just like, well, isn't this your job? Shouldn't you know what we're supposed to do? And it's like, okay, but if you really want to understand, you got to go and we got to talk to people. We got to like really, we got to listen to the people we're trying to like work with and support. And that's where um, I've started feeling conflicted recently is like, I'm answering so many questions about how we should do things or why we should do things. And it sometimes it feels like I'm doing it on behalf of um, people like the BIPOC community um, without them really knowing. And it's like, I, I just don't feel like I'm always the right person to be answering those questions. But in, in situations where, and maybe this is also a false statement, but where there is no one else to ask, like, is it my obligation to then make sure that I'm answering it as best as I can? But I, I think it's this is why so representation tricky. matters, though, right? Like, you want to, you don't mm. want to be that person that's speaking on behalf of an entire community. Like, I have somebody that I work with, um, and she is, as far as we know, the only Indigenous person in our organization at a level that has, uh, like, influence over the communications that are happening, for example. So everybody turns to her whenever there's a question about anything Indigenous-related. And it's a <laughs> lot. It's a, it's a tough burden for one person to carry. Um, and I don't, I really don't know what the solution is in order to hire more people that are, that would help to fill that role other than, as you said, to go out and talk to people and find out what it is that they need and the, and the types of things that would draw them into your organization. Um, but yeah, like putting it all on one person, whether they are representative of the community you're trying to reach or it's on behalf of the community, like that's a lot for one person to handle because you're, you're never going to be able to speak on behalf of such a broad group of people. Yeah, it's, I mean, I echo everything that you're saying there because I, I, I feel like there is a lot of times where I am that person that people come and talk to about these topics. And maybe it's because, I don't even know, because really a lot of the time I should not be the person that's talking. But at the same time, it's a hard, it's hard because I also want to take away, you know, I would rather if somebody has questions about a specific topic and issue around social justice, I'd rather you ask me and make me put that labor into trying to explain it to you um, or have a conversation with you rather than putting that onus on somebody else from that community because, you know, they've, 
they've told their story, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, they've, they live it every day. They don't, you know, it's more emotional labor for them to discuss it and give you evidence of suffering and, you know, all of those things. So, but at the same time, it's like, am I, am I then speaking over somebody that we want to hear, you know? So I don't know. It's tricky. It's a tricky one to walk. I'll say like when, um, things started to bubble up in the news last year and there was a lot of stuff going around social media, people saying, check on your black friends. That just irked me so much because if you haven't had those types of conversations with people of color in the past, like this is not the opportunity to go (laughs) and ask them to rehash all of the trauma that they've experienced, you know, like it, it has to be done over time and it has to be built over trust in order to have those conversations. I think that people have the, this desire to do good and, and get their own sense of what's going on in the world and educate themselves. But yeah, it's tough to put it all on a person to explain that to you. Like, try to do your own learning on your own. And, and if those conversations come up naturally, I think that's great. Um, but it has to be done over time and it has to be built over trust. Yeah, both of what you just both said was uh, was very helpful. And the way you frame that is, uh, yeah, I really like that. So glad I asked the question. Yeah, that was heated. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I'm sitting here like we're, it's just three white ladies talking about this. I know, like, I know, it's such horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for this conversation, and thank you for all of the topics that we covered because, like, this is the exact reason why we knew we wanted to have you on the show is because we just knew we would have really great, meaningful um, conversations and questions and and all of that. So I just really thank you for taking the time to join us and for sharing your insights as always. (laughs) You really wanted to talk about the branding of a baseball team. I get it. That's why I came on. You are the expert on that situation. So that's why we brought you on. I literally couldn't remember the name of the baseball team. listening to crying in the bathroom we hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on instagram at crying in the bathroom podcast thanks again for joining 